All right, so we're in Acts chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start here in verse 12, but while you're turning some pages, and I hope your Bible is starting to do that thing where it just naturally opens here. But um, I want to ask you, is, is there anything more painful in life uh, than when a friend betrays you? Uh, if you've, I'm, I'm sure you've had in some form a friend who, who's uh, said something to your face and, and you built a relationship and, and you had some, some community with this person and then to only find out uh, that they went behind your back and they did something. It might be something really small. Uh, maybe they just uh, said a secret, uh, said something that you told them in confidence and, and, and they go out and they tell it publicly or they tell the person that you were talking about Something like that. Uh, it could be much bigger than that. Maybe, maybe you've been abandoned by a friend. Maybe even in a moment of need. Uh, that, that you really needed that friend to step into that situation and help you. And when you looked, they were gone. Um, we, we've all had friends like that. Hopefully we haven't been that friend. Uh, maybe, maybe even as I said that you're thinking, well, I did that. Well, friends... Uh, well, they're great to help you, but also they can also cause that hurt. And when you get a group of friends together, it actually makes it a little bit more likely that that will happen. A lot of people think, well, certainly that couldn't happen in a church. I couldn't feel that hurt, that betrayal, that abandonment, not with brothers and sisters. But when you get sinners together, what do you think is going to happen? Sin is going to happen. Uh, so churches are actually prone to this. There's a word uh, that we use in history, at least, to talk about these kind of people. You know, um, you know sometimes it's just personal, and, and, and certainly there's sin involved there. Uh, but sometimes it's spiritual. Uh, so, sometimes uh, you have a friend, and, and they come to church. Maybe you even met them at church, and, and they say that you, they believe the same things as you. Um, they, they look like they're a Christian. They talk like they're a Christian. They dress up real nice when they come to church and, and they come over to your house and talk about Christian things. And then something happens in their life uh, and you don't hear from them for a while. And then maybe through Facebook or some other form, an email or something, you find out that they've given up the faith. Uh, they, don't, they don't believe the same things as you anymore. What happened? Well, in that, in that moment, you might feel that betrayal, that, that gut reaction of anguish that your friend is gone. Uh, and, and that term that we use is apostate when we talk about them, uh, when they have given up that faith. Uh, when, when you thought everything was fine, we believe the same things, there's, there's a standing away from. Maybe they stopped coming to church. Uh, and, and then from that point, you, you see him around town and you smile. And then you see him around town later, a couple years later, maybe, and you're not smiling. There's, there's, a, there's a drifting away. It's painful, but how do, how do we move forward with that? Uh, I'm sure you could probably think, uh, just, just stop for a second, uh, maybe even just right now, and think of three people uh, that you knew used to come to this church used to come to this church. I'm not even going to put it as a church that you've been a part of, but let's say this church and think of three people that you loved 
that you that you ministered to, that you thought you believed the same things, and are no longer believing in the faith. Can you think of three people? I can, and I haven't even been here all that long, right? It happens. It happens. It's uh, it's a thing that truly affects churches. This idea of apostasy, uh, or uh, we could put it as simple as a friend's betrayal, uh, and it's not. Uh, just the church. It's not just today. Uh, Even the first church, one of the earliest problems that we see is dealing with this idea of apostasy. Now, um, we'll dive here in Acts chapter 1, and we'll look at this. Starting at verse 12. Then they turned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, so right after the ascension, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was about 120 and said, Brothers, the Spirit spoke... uh, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of this wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, uh, a keldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to the resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Let's ask the Lord to help us as we study. Heavenly Father, uh, we do thank you, Lord, that we can be here right now. I thank you for uh, all the friends that are before me that uh, have come out tonight in the cold. And um, Lord, I I thank you that we each can have a copy of the Bible in front of us. Uh, Lord, that it is easily accessible to us, that we don't have to rely on some priest who's speaking another language that Uh, And then interpreting it to us later uh, to understand what you have to say. We can read it for ourselves. We'll give you praise for that. Uh, Lord, I do thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to be able to study this out and be able to present it to my friends. And uh, Lord, we do ask that you would be with us right now. Uh, Lord, I pray that my words would be truth, uh, that they would be your words. And, And Lord, what is not, that that would be tossed away and that we'd be able to focus on your truth tonight. Lord, uh, I know that many of us have ministered who have loved even uh, friends that we've had that we thought were believers uh, or maybe even are and have backslided. uh, They've turned away. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would find some healing tonight. Uh, I pray that we would 
uh, be able to come up with, with a plan, uh, how to approach these people, what to do about them, and, and how does that fit even with your sovereignty? Lord, I pray that we would have those questions answered for us tonight in your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, familiar story, right? Uh, we probably all know it. You probably, uh, maybe even in Sunday school growing up, you, you remembered you had to learn all of the apostles' names and you always forgot Matthias, or maybe that was just me. Um, but he, he was the one who was added on to the last, right? And so often when we're going through our Bible study and we're, maybe you're doing a, um, the Bible in one year and, and you come through Acts and you read it like that, that it's just, oh, well, it's just picking uh, this next guy uh, to kind of fill in the slot. There's a slot that's open and they need someone to fill that slot. And so they pick Matthias. He's pretty well qualified. So let's give him the ministry there and move on so we can get to Acts chapter 2. Uh, I would argue that this moment is crucial for the church because it's this moment that's going to set the precedent uh, about what do you do with those apostates and how can you move forward uh, when, when someone like Judas betrays you. And it's also really a passage about healing. Um, these guys were not robots. We think of the disciples and, and we think, of course, they would do this. Um, but they felt things just like we do. Uh, they felt fear. They felt anger. They felt pain. And, and here you have a bunch of disciples gathering together. And they're going to be working through this as a team. And I think we could do the same tonight. So let's look here. Uh, let's look at the, the list uh, in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem. So they're obeying right off the bat. Jesus said to stay in Jerusalem until you get the Holy Spirit, right? So they go back uh, after he had taken them. I think it's Luke who says out to Bethany or as far as Bethany. And they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away, so probably around six miles. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. And when they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All right. Uh, obviously, there's somebody missing, right? We, we, we've already read the other parts, so we know who's missing. All right. We, we know that it's Judas who's missing. Um, but this is kind of like a, a previously on the apostles moment. All right. Uh, if you watch TV, there's always that 30 seconds of here's the important stuff that you need to remember as we move forward with the story. And a couple episodes ago, oh, uh, go away, there were, you know, some instance and you got to remember that part to fit into this new situation. That's what this is of just listing again. Who are the apostles just in case we've forgotten and we don't remember the song? Well, here they are. And, and the idea here is to point out that somebody is missing. All right, so they're all there. They're in the upper room, and they're doing some things. Verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Uh, so first off, there, there's just a whole bunch of togetherness. Uh, and, and that is a word, by the way. That, uh, that is a word. I looked it up to make sure. Togetherness is a word. All right, uh, but they're, they're together. They're with one accord. They're all in agreement. Uh, they, they are praying, they're devoting themselves to prayer. All right? uh, everything that they're doing is, is harmonious. Uh, it's a beautiful picture of what it should look like within the church. That we should be in agreement 
uh, with accord, we, we, with one accord, we should be able to understand where each other stands theologically. I think that's what's involved here of being in agreement. And, and we should be devoting ourselves to prayer together. Uh, so they're relying on one another. Um, Luke 24 says that their prayer was worshipful. We looked at that, um, I think, two weeks ago. All right, uh, But they were worshipful and they were praying for something specific. Now, what would they be praying for? For the Spirit to come. Right? They're, they're, they've been told to go back to Jerusalem, wait for the Spirit to descend. And then you will go out and be my witnesses. So they're waiting and they're praying and they're worshiping and they're gathering together. There's this beautiful togetherness. And uh, then they have something to deal with. All right, um, so if you're writing down notes, number one, a church is to have uh, an interdependent harmony. All right, that we, we are to be dependent upon one another. Uh, so if you're thinking about it and you were to say, well, if I were to go to a different church, it wouldn't really make a big difference for me. You are doing church wrong. Uh, you need to be dependent upon fellow members here, uh, just like these fellows were. All right, so uh, they, they have a, an issue, though, of course, to, to be brought up. It's interesting. Uh, Peter here begins to, to take the forefront, uh, to be that rock, and I do think it is him. There's room for debate on that, but to be that rock that Jesus is going to build the church on. Uh, so he stands up. All right, maybe this would be in 2019 the equivalent of he turned off the TV. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers so that would get their attention. He stands up. He has something to say. There's something on his heart. What does he have to say? Well, we get a little number here. Just again, Luke is giving specifics. 120 people here. And he says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. Uh, Peter's been doing some Bible study. Um, he is no longer that man who, who doesn't know what to do at the Mount of Transfiguration and starts, let's just build temples. <laughs> let's just build three tents and, and we'll hang out up here and everybody gets worshipped. The really bonehead thing to say. All right, he's, he's not that guy anymore. Uh, this is why I said what I said last week. The ascension changed this guy. Uh, he's looking into his Bible. He's beginning to see things like what Luke uh, depicts of these two disciples. We don't know who they are, but on the road to Emmaus, Jesus shows up. And what does he do? He basically gives them a theology lesson on Christology. Uh, the things concerning him. He shows them, uh, beginning at the law, all right, everything that revolves around Jesus Christ. Peter is now getting that. And so he says that the scriptures had to be fulfilled. So he's also building a beautiful bibliology of what does it mean to, to have your Bible in front of you? How should you read that? Well, he says the scriptures had to be fulfilled. In other words, this was going to happen. Uh, what is he saying? He's saying these words are true. He's saying that, of course, it had to happen this way. These words are true. And he says the, uh, that the Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David. So here we can understand a lot too that who is the one who wrote these words? Trick question. 
All right. Yes, David is involved by his mouth, his language. So that would involve his mind of things that he was thinking of, his style even. But the Holy Spirit is the one who is moving David to write down these words. And that is Scripture. All right. So we can take confidence even later when we see even Peter's going to have this happen to him. When it says that he's carried along by the Spirit, that's what it looks like. That God is going to use his words, his style, um, his, his character in his writing. But it's the Holy Spirit that's actually doing the writing. So we can take confidence when we read our Bible that it is true. And so he says that the, this had to be fulfilled. So what, what was that? What was the thing that had to be fulfilled? Well, some messianic prophecies that uh, we'll get to in just a minute. But let's look at what he says about Judas. All right. Um, let's, let's look here. He says, uh, by the mouth of David concerning Judas. All right. Uh, so we know who that guy is. Uh, we, we know that he stole. They looked back and saw that he stole. They didn't know it at the time. Jesus knew it. The disciples didn't. All right. But uh, we, we know that there were some signs of betrayal before, but nobody else saw that except for Jesus. We know that from Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus says, someone is going to betray me, and everybody starts coming to Jesus and saying, is it me? Now, if I had seen Judas steal, I'm not going to Jesus and saying, uh, am I going to betray I'm going it's that guy, <laughs> right? He's the one who's been stealing, right? They didn't know that, all right? That's why Peter says, who became a guide? Uh, the Greek is ginomai, means to become it means that there's some kind of a transformation or a beginning. Uh, the point is, is that Peter is saying, he didn't always used to be this way. Um, he seemed like he was one of us. He seemed like he was doing the same things as us, that he loved Jesus, that he was ministering. But he became a guide uh, to come and betray Jesus. He even says that he was numbered among us. Now, that's a term that we don't usually use. All right, but it doesn't mean that he was just there, that, that he was in the group. Right? Uh, I remember as a kid, um, maybe a little older as a teenager, going and going playing basketball. Um, and, and I walked down to the park with my friends. And uh, once we adopted my little brother, I had to bring him. Right, like you, you probably can relate to that. Your parents saying you got to bring your younger sibling to go and play with you, with you and your friends. Uh, now we we made sure that you didn't get lost along the way. All right, but was he a part of the conversations? No. Is he is he a part of the stories that me and Joel and some other guys we can get together and and talk about? He he knows them, but he wasn't really like a part of it. Right? Uh, maybe you get together at a family reunion and you have a younger sibling and he, could, uh, he or she can tell you like everything. And you go like, were you even born yet? <laughs> right? You were there, but you weren't necessarily a part of the group. That's not what Judas is. He is one of them. All right? He belonged to the group. He belonged to the disciples. All right, he, he was a part of them uh, to show his witness, which is not a word, togetherness, word, witness, not a word. All right, but he looked like a believer. 
Uh, we can see that because he shared in the work. That's what Peter says. He was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. So he was doing things. He was working right alongside of them. And again, as I said, no one even guessed that Judas would betray him. Instead, they're all asking Jesus, was it me? But unfortunately, even though he looked, he looked from the outside, he looked like he was an apostle. Like he was uh, loving Jesus, like he was serving Jesus. He wasn't. We have verses 18 through 19. Now this man, so here you, you probably see some parentheses around this because this is Luke, the narrator, kind of stepping into it and reminding, again, like a previously on the apostles moment. All right, now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is the field of blood. All right, so he looked like an apostle, but he wasn't. How do we know? Because he betrayed, and then he didn't repent. Now, you might look at that and say, well, he kills himself. Doesn't that mean he's sorry? There's a big difference between saying, I'm sorry about someone or something uh, in grief. I think that's the term that we would put around that. There's a big difference between grief and repentance. What does repentance mean? It means literally, in the Greek, a turning. All right, so it's not just that I regret doing this, but I'm going to turn and do the other. All right, it's why Jesus says to the man who he healed, get up uh, and sin no more. Right? Uh, There's a get up, turn, repent, and don't do it again. Right? Here he is, Judas, and he's just grieving over what he's done. That is not true repentance. I know it's harsh, um, but that is the truth. Now, before we move on, I have to also say a few things that uh, you might look at that and say, wait, if I remember in the Gospels, uh, he, he hanged himself. So how does he hang himself and burst open? Maybe some of you know how to rectify that for those who don't. Um, he did hang himself. The Word of God says that. And then the son baked him. And it's gross as all get out. But he eventually fell and splat. And that's why it's called the field of blood. Alright, so that's just how we rectify that. Alright, um, also, we have to say that all right, uh, Peter is referring to a prophecy. So some people would then say, alright, well, is Judas then a robot? Did he have a choice in the matter to deny Jesus? Well, I like what Calvin says. He says, Judas may not be excused on the ground that what befell him was prophesied, since he fell away not through the compulsion of the prophecy, but through the wickedness of his own heart. Uh, So yes, there was prophecy to it, but that's not what drove Judas to do it. In his own mind, he wanted the money. He lusted after the money. It's why he'd been stealing from the purse from before. And so now he says, well, here's a chance for me to get some money. And all I got to do is betray Jesus. And Jesus has already been talking about how people are going to kill him anyway. So let's just do this thing. All right. So he he did it on his own volition. Um, Just one last note. If you're wondering how to solve in your mind uh, what you should think about uh, believers who commit suicide, this is not the text. I'll just say that. 
If you come to this text and you're thinking about how, how do you rectify a believer committing suicide, or at least it looked like he was a believer committing suicide, don't come here. This is not the example to use. All right? There are other examples that you could use, and you can talk to me about that another time. All right? But Judas, he looked like an apostle, but he was not one of them. After all, it looked like he was. He did all the same things. He looked the right part, but he betrayed. So what do we do? What do we do when something like that happens to us? When someone comes into the church and they're, they're ministering amongst us and it looks like they're saved, they say all the right things, you go out to coffee with them, you have great times of sharing with one another, and then flash forward five years and you haven't heard from them in three. Uh, and then you find out that they, they don't even go to church anymore, they don't believe the same thing, maybe they've even posted something about being an atheist or an agnostic. What do you do about that? Well, the disciples here, they have... They have a similar thought, all right? They have a similar situation. And what do they do? Well, the first thing that they do here is that they don't forget about him. All right, they're bringing him up as they're waiting for this moment of the Holy Spirit descending. Uh, big important things is these guys, they got a big task ahead of them. And in that moment is when Peter stands up and says, hey, you guys remember Judas? Something needs to be done about this. So the first thing I would say is that we, as a church, we don't forget those people. You don't just move on and don't think about them again. All right, so number one, don't forget about apostates. Number two is that we rest in God's sovereignty. Peter, he searches the scriptures. He searches the word to make sense of his loss. And now for Peter, it looked like going to Messianic prophecies of Psalm chapter 69, verse 25, and Psalm 109, verse 8. That's where he gets these phrases from. All right, so he goes there. But for you, it might mean that you need to study John 10, that you need to study Hebrews chapter 6, or, or even Titus 1, the beginning. Uh, or 2 Timothy chapter 3. Maybe you need to go to these sections of Scripture and search it out. What should you do about this person who you thought was a friend and was thought even a brother or a sister? And then they go and uh, follow after the world. What do you do about that? Well, you rest in God's sovereignty and you search out the Scriptures. Uh, and that might mean that you have to come to some hurtful, hurtful... Uh, uh, outcomes here. Uh, it might be, even though you desire this person to be saved, might mean that you come to the realization that they were putting on an act. And even if you study history, you find a whole bunch of preachers, uh, preachers that even get talked about from pulpits, uh, and you see the end of their life, and they prove themselves to be not what they were saying from the pulpit. Right? That, that happens. Uh, it happens even today. Right, James McDonald. Like, if you have you heard about that guy, a big big guy in Chicago, um, thousands of people in his church finds out that he's been stealing from the church and uh, doing all kinds of things. And that's not the only story, right? You got like ten that you can think of off the top of your head of people like that. It might be that this person that you love and who you thought you were sharing a kinship with, it might be that they're one of them, that they were never saved to begin with, and we have to. We have to come to terms with that. So, um, if they aren't that, we have to act accordingly and witness. 
witness if possible, and rest if necessary. So you can witness if you still have a relationship with that person, if you still see them around town and you're friendly. Go out to coffee with them. Have them over to your house. Get to know them. Try again and and figure out what's going on. Witness to them. Uh, But if you don't have a relationship, you don't know how to start a relationship with that person, you don't even know where they're at in the world, you got to rest in God's sovereignty. Number three, remember the task at hand. All right, notice what they do. Uh, they say, all right, well, we know that it had to be done. Peter says that in verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to the resurrection. In other words, uh, we still have a job to do. Uh, we, we still have something that we need to be focused on. And we need help. So let's move forward. And continue working uh, in this job that God has given us, the Great Commission. Uh, Now, one of these men, so uh, we have a a little bit of a requirement here that they had to be there. Just a little requirement, they had to be there the whole time. Uh, Not just that they were here for a little part, maybe even uh, if you think about uh, when they laid the palms down and sang Hosanna, that they started then, that's not good enough. You have to go all the way back to the beginning, one of those guys. And from the appearance of it, there's only two that qualify. Right? Uh, it says that they put these two guys. So here's the qualification and then two guys. So I think that there's, uh, these are the two only people that actually fit those qualifications of being there for those three years. All right, so uh, they had a task to be, that needed to be done. And, and, and so they move forward. And now it could be easy for a friend's betrayal, or like Judas's, that what could they have done? They could have cowered in there. They could have wept together and, and, and said, I don't feel like going out there. If Judas betrayed him, maybe I'll betray him. Uh, you, can, you can start having all kinds of mind games going on. You can be caught up within yourself. You could get distracted by even your own grief over it. So what must you do? Keep working. Now for them, it was the Great Commission. For you, uh, it is also the Great Commission, but it is your sanctification as well. Others giving up the faith doesn't give us an excuse to falter in ours. All right, so don't use someone else as an example and say, I don't know what to do about my faith if they've given up the faith. We can use that as an excuse to lax off in our Bible reading or, or uh, to not go out committed to the Great Commission. Others giving up the faith doesn't give us an excuse to falter in ours. And then lastly, prayerfully move forward. Look what they do. Uh, and they prayed and said, so they got Joseph, who's also called Barsabbas, um, uh, uh, and Justice, he's got a lot of nicknames apparently. All right, and then there's Matthias. And so they have these two options of guys and they, and they start praying. But I think it's interesting how they pray. They say, you Lord, who knows the hearts of all. I think that, that that's Peter again showing his pastor's heart and showing a little bit of vulnerability here. Uh, they've been hurt. And like I said, they're real people. And here they are opening themselves up again. All right, uh, Judas hurt them. He was their brother. There was a special relationship uh, with these guys. And, and 
He betrays, he hurts them. And instead of just closing themselves off, instead they open up again. And how can they do that? Well, they're praying and they're saying, Lord, you know the hearts of all. They know Matthias pretty well. Right? He's been there from the beginning. They, they probably have a good relationship with him, but they thought they had a good relationship with Judas too. So instead of what we could do, if you've had that kind of situation, maybe you've been hurt by a pastor or maybe you've been hurt by a church member, um, and you might think about closing yourself off to that kind of fellowship again, you don't want to get hurt again. Well, the apostles here show a beautiful example of opening up and, and trusting again. Uh, but, you know, trusting people to an extent, they, like I said, they know Matthias pretty well, but who are they really trusting? God, you know the hearts of all. You know, you know if these men are real apostles or not, whether they're one of us, uh, whether, whether they're going to remain one of us, and you choose who should be an apostle. So they're opening themselves up again. They're prayerfully moving forward. They're saying that we trust you, God. So if you've been hurt, you can trust God and open yourself up once again. Now, lastly, uh, we need to remember, no matter how severe the apostate circumstances, while there is life, there is hope for repentance. Now, Judas, he... He shows the end of his life. Uh, there's no chance for Judas to repent after what he did. All right, so we know where he ended up. Now, if you think about that example of, uh, like I said, three people, if you could think of three people, are they living? If they are, there's a chance. There's hope. If, if they are, then we can reach out. Then you if you have a relationship with them, you can reach out. While there is life, there is hope of repentance. Let's turn and we'll close with this. To Jude, chapter, tw- uh, chapter <laughs> verse 22. And this will be our closing prayer. Jude, verse 22. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of God, uh, before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.